Hello, NBA fans. Welcome to the hottest independent podcast on the basketball scene. You're listening to the And One Basketball Hour, and I am your host, Paul Abels. Joining me today to break down the NBA is my backcourt podcast teammate. We'll call him the Mark Tatum to my Adam Silver, and that's ESPN Radio's very own Angelo Carriero. Makes a little more sense than Mark Titus to Adam Silver, am I right? <laughs> I think I listened to one too many podcasts. So uh, we are referencing, referencing, of course, the NBA commissioner and co-commissioner, and that's because today is going to be an exciting uh, NBA draft-filled podcast episode. Um, to the listeners that are tuning in, we appreciate you all, of course. The M1 Basketball Hour is here to serve your nerdy basketball needs from league news, player comparisons, legacy impact, heated debates, and more. And we should have, definitely have a few of those debates today um, because of this very divisive and very fun topic. So uh, Angelo and I, we wanted to record our final thoughts on the 2019 NBA Draft now that we've had a few weeks after to kind of have things settle down and, and also see where these players might find it, uh, fit in with their teams and relation to free agency. We're going to make some bold claims. We're going to etch them into history, hopefully, so we can revisit this show down the road and brag about a few takes. Um, but I don't know about you, Angelo. I'm kind of expecting more to have some laughs. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the way that this is going to go. <laughs> some bragging, especially for this year's draft. So uh, let's get into You're, it. Uh, real quick, I think you were a lot lower on it than I was. Like, I agree that it wasn't it's not like 2017 where you didn't have any real superstars, but the first 14 picks you would be like, yeah, they could be an all-star someday. And I just feel like maybe you're a little harsher on it. So we'll see how it pans out in this, if I'm right or not. And you can just say me, but I think it was the basketball world as a whole there. My opinion on this draft is a, as a whole, just to start things out with uh, our, our discussion on it. As always, there's going to be some players that fall that end up being really good. Like when you have a Giannis fall to 15th or, you know, your Tony Parker's fall or Draymond Green's. That's going to happen. This draft, I don't think, is lacking in talent. The difference is I think it's lacking in unproven. Or I think what what it has a lot of is unproven talent. There's so many players that have so many you know, potential holes or red flags that I just think this is a very unpredictable draft. I could very easily see like three to five years from now where there's a lot of good players. It's just, there's so much uncertainty uh, in predicting these guys that I think that's what brings about a lot of the, maybe some of the negativity and confusion. So, um, and only time will tell, right? Yeah. I think the way that I kind of viewed it was everybody kind of saw this draft as, one where it's it doesn't have a lot of star potential outside of the top three, even guys that you could see as part of an NBA rotation. But really, to me, it's more or less that I think it's still like 26 players deep, but it was the, this is one of the most brutal second rounds I've ever seen. <laughs> Easily, I would say half the names and quite a few names at the top of the second round where – I mean, I pay attention to stuff quite a bit. Not that not not that you're not that either of us are a scout, but some of these names, I just like have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pass judgment. Um, you know, no, no clue. So, um, I we can probably both agree that it 
for now, before we go in and find out about these players, this appears to be a three-player draft, if you will. Do you sort of agree with that assessment? Yes. Okay. Um, do those three players, do they include Gogo Batazzi? Unfortunately, no, even though maybe you should. Ah, darn it. You're not including my guy. I'm kidding. Um, so the top three players were pretty consensus. The number one player is Angela's favorite human specimen maybe ever born. in uh, Zion Williamson. Uh, and nothing against that, by the way. <laughs> I don't have a problem with you. I, I was able to get him in our league. I think that made me a little more excited than I would originally be. In our, in our fantasy league, yeah, I'm not. I'm still bitter about that. Uh, but Zion, of course, was the consistent number one pick, uh, and New Orleans took him. Everyone viewed, or most people viewed, John Morant as the clear, bona fide, uh, top-rated point guard and the most likely to become an all-star there. And then third, I would say R.J. Barrett. Um, you know, he had a high pedigree, actually, as the, the more of the consensus number one high school recruit. And you know, Zion sort of stole his thunder. But um, those three guys appeared to be head and shoulders above. And and you're saying that for now, you you, t- you tend to think that's an accurate assessment. I think it was not necessarily for now, just for the time of the draft. I thought that whenever. Yeah. This draft commenced. It, we all agreed these are the three guys, and I don't see really any reason to push back on that. I think Darius Garland got a lot of buzz there for a little bit, but when you're talking about guys that you think can be multiple-time All-Stars, uh, the, these were the sure things uh, compared to the rest of the group. Yeah, I agree. Even looking back at the final results now, it's just there's some guys here that I'm trying to talk myself into, and uh, – I'll say that the only one, maybe, that I could, I would think maybe DeAndre Hunter could have an argument, um, just just for what he did in the tournament and what he did throughout the season. Um, I tend to be higher, a little bit higher on him than most people think he is a sort of a high floor, low ceiling player, and I, I disagree. But still, I do I do agree that like the the blue chip caliber talent rests in the, in the top three. So well, let's, uh, get, well, let's get to DeAndre Hunter here in a second, but I yeah. want to ask you, who was your, like, did you, did you agree with the order of the top three? Did you I think did. that Josh should have gone above RJ? I think that the ordering is perfect for New Orleans. There's no doubt you take Zion uh, and he is replacing Anthony Davis, of course, as the, the shining star of the future of, not only the franchise, but he could be the one of the future faces of the whole league. And for Memphis, I personally think that Jaw is on a different, a higher tier than even RJ Barrett. That's just me personally. I'm not too high on RJ Barrett, although I, I see the talent and I understand where he, you know, put, putting him up there. But for Memphis, for them. Mike Conley's time and uh, with that for franchise was dwindling down. They're no longer a contender. They'd already traded away Mark Gasol. I think Ja is. I think he has just as good a chance as anyone to become an All Star in this draft. Um, I do believe that Zion Williamson will become a better pro. But I will tell you this: I think there's maybe like a 20 percent chance that Ja Morant might be, have a better career. I said it. I said it than than Zion. Wow! Uh, just just if Zion ends up eating way too much Creole Cajun food in New Orleans, you know, um, I think there's a chance. I, I really believe that Miranda is incredible. Uh, so 
I could say the same thing about R.J. Barrett, though, when it comes to those guys, that if he figures out a way to become that uh, a shooter to go along with his top-notch driving ability, he could be the best ISO player in the league someday. Yeah, if he figures out a way to actually hit half his shots, uh, that would be really helpful for his case as a pro. Um, I agree. I just, I, I just think that Zion and Ja are actually a level above R.J. And then for Barrett, He's so young. You see a lot of the talent. I think New York. You take him. You know they don't in their young core. They have a a, a pretty intriguing young core. Um, within that, you've got your defensive rim runner, rim runner stopper at center with Mitchell Robinson. You got Kevin Knox, who I believe in more than most, but I wouldn't say he's he should be your number one guy. You know, I think he can become like a solid second or third option on the team. Um, and then they've got, you know, Frank Nicolina and some other guys. Um, so I think it was good to get RJ just in the fact that he's kind of your go-to guy at the end of the game. He can get you a bucket. Um, but that's the uh, – <laughs> let's just say that young group has a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've been watching Summer League, but RJ has definitely struggled, which I kind of expect most young guards to do when they get a jump up in competition. But Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson look, like, ready. They are ready yep. to take a leap. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mitchell Robinson's, of course, he, he of the 10% block uh, – or, the yeah, the 10 block percentage uh, advanced – metric from last season uh, blocking everything and and i'm sorry I, we, we can i can talk about kevin knox all day long i thought he was incredible coming out of high school i think he was really good at kentucky and he has a lot of potential to grow I, i'm excited to see him but yeah anyway the top three i think it's fine and really you can the intrigue of the draft definitely started the, at pick number four absolutely it did and the big trade that happened between new orleans and atlanta I don't know how I feel about it. Um, from either side, I kind of always side with the team that jumps up for the most value, and I think the number four pick in this deal had the most value. So when you get DeAndre Hunter and you put him in that system, the reason why David Griffin uh, drafted the guys we'll talk about a little later in Jackson Hayes and um, Nikhil Walker Alexander, is that his name? Alexander Walker. Alexander Walker. Yeah. The reason why I drafted him is because they wanted defensive-minded players to fit around Drew and Zion. And to me, I'm like, well, why not just stay there and take DeAndre? And I, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Because I, I kind of think Atlanta, even though they gave up what essentially amounts to four first-round picks, if you consider the number 35 a little more valuable than just a second. But, I mean, it was three first-rounders in a second. So, I mean – I just well, not no, it's not three. So uh, it, in the deal, the Hawks um, gave up the number eight pick, the number seventeen pick, and the number thirty five pick, and a protected twenty twenty from Cleveland. Oh, okay, that's right. Sorry, I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, um, and, that's, and that's and that's a good pickup. And then, but in exchange, they received they took back the number four selection at the top of the draft. Um, and then the, the number 57 pick, which turned out to be Jordan Bone, actually. <laughs> Not, uh, that's kind of intriguing. Oh, the, Jordan Bone, that, that pick was actually traded to Detroit, I was going to say. Um, so that, that was another trade. The thing that's interesting to me is that Atlanta took on Solomon Hill's contract. That's a one-year expiring. It's, it's, it's not going to be anything terrible, but they did help New Orleans alleviate some cap space. Um 
so for me, that kind of helps um, justify the trade in New Orleans's uh, point of view. It did free up enough money where they had a uh, they could have afforded a max player, but they weren't lucky to get that kind of player either, right? Um, right. But they're getting rid of some bad cap space. It gives them flexibility, not only for this offseason, but during the season, too. Uh, having a cat space can help them facilitate some trades. And you, if you look at that team, not, not that we're doing a team preview, but with Drew Holiday, with Zion Williamson, with J.J. Raddick, and then all their young players, you can if they can make one move and pick up like a fringe all-star, like, like an auto porter type, you know, or someone like that, that team can make a playoff run. And I think so This by getting rid of some of that salary – and moving down a little bit, it could put in, put them in, in position to make a playoff run. Um, but so that's fine. Let me let her interrupt you real quick. That's fine. I, I I don't know what the point of that would be, especially after. I mean, you got Derek Favors, you got JJ Redick. You know, Solomon Hill's contract off the books kind of allowed you to do both of those moves. So I agree that in that aspect, it worked out well. So it's more like you're getting all of those guys and Hayes and Alexander Walker. But in my opinion, the way I see it, this first-round pick from Cleveland is top 10 protected next year and then conveys to two second-round picks. So I don't see that pick conveying for New Orleans. It's going to be two seconds. So you're getting three second-round picks and then number eight and number 17. Everyone knew this is a three-player draft, and you got one of the three, specifically the consensus number one. If I if I'm sitting there at four, and again everybody loves the the pick hoarding and what that can do for a team, and maybe he strikes gold with one of these two guys, but I would have felt safer taking my definitive number one unless he honestly thought that none of those guys equaled the value combined of Hayes and Walker. In which, yeah, I understand why you do the deal, but to me, I feel like if you have that option between Hunter or Culver or Garland or even Cam Reddish or someone, if you really think those guys are that good then stay at four and take them. But obviously Griffin didn't feel that way, and he pulled the trigger the way he felt uh, necessary. And the Hawks took advantage, and they drafted DeAndre Hunter, which I think makes perfect sense for that team. You look at what they're trying to build with this Golden State light out in the east, and you have the the young backcourt with the elite shooting with Trey Young and Kevin Herter. You have John Collins, who can play both power forward and center, as one of the frontcourt players. Um, What you don't have yet – in that team is a premier uh, pruner defender. You know, your guy that's going to guard the other player's best, um, the other team's best player. Um, you don't have that, that long elite athletic wing that can drive and, and, and help kick and create some, take advantage of, of some space that your shooters are making. So well, I think tell me my- more about Deandre Hunter, because you said that you see him, Maybe even potentially cracking the top three of this class. What what's his ceiling to you? I think within this draft class, his ceiling is pretty high. If it was like the last two years, which I think were much stronger drafts, I don't see that being the case. So I'm not going to say that he's a future all star. I don't think that's. I mean, I don't think that's the, his most likely outcome. But I, if you're going to tell me that Hunter could. Uh, let me think. You think R.J. Barrett sucks, so you can see Hunter being the third best player in the class. I think I, I get it. I think Hunter has a higher floor to me, whereas Barrett has some bust opportunity. Barrett's ceiling is certainly higher, um, but I think I just think he's got you know he also can can bust a little bit more. My thing with Hunter is just he's what the league is looking for right now. 
And it's a prototype cliche, but it's the three and D wing. But for real, like that's what people are looking for, right? You look in the finals, look at the Raptors. Like, could he become a Pascal Siakam? Sure. I think he could. Uh, why not? Like, and that's the kind of player that you're looking for, you know, um, even if he's 20% less than, than, than Siakam, like that kind of player who can rebound, defend, guard, switch. And he, ha- I think he shot like four, over 40% from three from in college on a low volume, but still like as long as he can keep the defense honest and tell it space, that's the kind of pl- player that the modern NBA is looking for. And so fitting in with what that Atlanta core needs, I think he was a perfect fit. Um, now, I'll tell you that I loved initially the return that the Pelicans got on their trade, but after what they actually did with those picks, I'm not as high on the deal. Um, I will tell you that when they got the eighth pick, I'm thinking that, well, hey, they can still get a guy with a pretty high ceiling um, like a Cam Reddish, even a guy like a Tyler Hero. If you're looking at New Orleans, they didn't have J.J. Reddick at the time. Surrounding Zion with shooters is a really good de- idea, right? Um, you know, Culver didn't fall there, but there's a few guys you could pick with maybe a higher ceiling to make this trade worth it. I would say if it was a guy like Cam Reddish, I'd feel a lot better because he, he has a high ceiling. He could be a great shooter. Maybe he busts, but like the difference between Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter maybe isn't that large. Um, and I love the I love their 17th pick. Nikhil Alexander-Walker looks like a really good, like, solid rotation guy that I don't think is going to fail. I think he'll make the league. Um, but instead, they took Jackson Hayes. And to me, um, I just think that the importance of having a center who can defend and, and rim run and, and protect the rim, but albeit has no offensive uh, production, really. Like, kind of like your Nerlens Noel types. He reminds me of a young JaVale McGee. Yeah, and, like, the thing is, those are important players, but there's also a lot of those guys, and they're losing their value in this league. I just don't think spending the eighth pick, especially when you had the fourth pick, <laughs> you know, you you passed on potentially a couple maybe all-stars, you know, ahead of you. You don't trade down and spend the eighth pick on a Jackson Hayes. That's just me. It feels like the in, in that pick they were going for need more instead of just going pure upside and – well, That's where I feel like, well, in, in the end, I feel like Atlanta won the deal because I don't like that pick. And then the 35th pick, also, that's some nice value. That's the fifth pick of the second round. You can get like a fringe first round kind of talent that fall to you. And they took, let's see, Marcus Luzada Silva. Yeah, my boy. And <laughs> no one had heard of him. He's, he appears to be purely like a draft and stash kind of player. Oh, be um, nice to Didi Silva like that, man. He's the he's the future. I'm just saying, if you're gonna do, again to your point, if you're gonna move down from four, fine, but then make sure to take advantage of those picks you're getting. And if you're gonna take like a top five second round pick, and instead of taking you know a fringe first round talent, you're gonna get a guy that's probably never gonna come over here. You're just stashing him in Europe. Um, I just feel like they actually wasted the value that they received. So. I can totally see that. Now, I disagree with you about Jackson Hayes' quote-unquote upside because it's there, but you're talking about in the modern NBA and what he can do with his skill set. It's I totally agree with you because my thing is is that 
if Jackson Hayes reaches his ceiling, what exactly are you expecting? Kind of in that same question. To me, if you flipped it, wouldn't you like this draft a lot more if they got Hero, like Tyler Hero at 8 and Goga uh, Batadze at 17? Right. Uh, you know, or Tumo Kiki or the Matisse Thibel kid or Brandon Clark or whatever. Um, yeah, and, and also it's just I'm thinking let's say that in, the, in a few years from now the Pelicans are, the, are a playoff team. I just don't know how often you're going to have Zion playing next to Jackson Hayes in the second round or third round of the playoff series. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't make any sense. Those kind of players are being, you know, kind of forced out. So I don't want to spend too much more time on this trade. It's yeah, just I agree. That- and the last point on that for me is I think that Cobb Gale that went 27th, uh, that ended up getting traded to the Clippers, I think he's better than Jackson Hayes, personally. Nice. There we go. Hey, so- Starting to make a few proclamations. I've got one. My proclamation, my early one, was that John Morant has a 20% chance to be a better pro than Zion. I'm cool with that. Um, and yeah, you're, that was really, that was really but, intense. 20%. Hey, I'm just saying. It's more than, it's more than zero. So um, I have a quick question. I'm curious. Moving forward a little bit. Then after this question, we'll kind of like move all over the draft a little bit more freely. But just to compare and contrast – Cleveland and Minnesota at the fifth and sixth spots I thought were very interesting. Minnesota, of course, moved up from the 11th pick uh, over the 11th spot. They gave up that pick and Dario Saric uh, to move up to six. And that's a big that's a big move. You're taking you're hopefully taking a player that you think is going to be a potentially a you know a, a well definitely a starter and hopefully kind of change your team and your culture. Um, Cleveland took Darius Garland at five which is curious because they took Colin Sexton last year. And then Minnesota took Culver at six. I'm just curious, what do you think about those two selections and what it says about their team strategy? Well, Paul, I don't know if you realize this, but you didn't know Darius Garland's dad played for Minnesota, and apparently that's one of the reasons why they tried to move up. I did not know that, no. I didn't know that either, and I saw it on Twitter through, you know, like beat writers and stuff, is that was a big reason. They were trying to draft that guy's kid, essentially, and they missed out by a pick. Whoops. Um, <laughs> it's it's crazy, man. It, it really is. Um, let's start off with Cleveland, I guess. You know, I like going for value, but when you draft <laughs> a guy like Colin Sexton to be your, you know, your franchise point guard – to draft a guy that needs to do exactly what Colin Sexton's doing, either they are so out on Colin Sexton that they made this move. Because look at the rest of their draft. They drafted a point guard, a shooting guard, and a small forward like yeah. to fortify that backcourt. And that would be great if you didn't already have Colin Sexton there. So that's a little alarming on a lot of fronts. I, I would have taken Garland fourth in this draft. I would have looked hard at DeAndre Hunter, though. Like you said, you think he can be really good. Uh, especially for the needs the teams had there. It's it's weird. It, it's really confusing there. We'll see how it works out. They say that they want to play them both together, but I don't know about that. I mean, we'll see. Uh, Culver at six to Minnesota, fine. You know, I, I don't, I'm not as high on Culver as other people are, but if he reaches his ceiling, he can be a 17, 18 points per game scorer that can also play really good defense, maybe like a Chris Middleton type uh if he can reach that ceiling that he has and that's that's great and it's something that can fit the team at small forward or shooting guard or whatever they do with that lineup there you know it's you got to worry if you're minnesota that carl anthony towns someday is going to leave because they haven't done the best job around him 
understatement. <laughs> um, I think for Cleveland, I, I actually applaud them for taking Darius Garland. To me, I, I agree that in terms of just upside and ceiling and fitting in the modern NBA, he was probably the fourth best prospect on the on the board. And Cleveland is two years away from being two years away from being two years away. <laughs> like, yeah. You're not contending anytime soon. I don't think, unlike what the Neurons did, I don't think that they're in a position or uh, to where they should be focusing on uh, position, <laughs> frankly, you know, in, in their roster. Colin Sexton was a pick last year. They they thought he was the best value at that time. That's fine. If Garland is is their best value here, and I can see why, you know, you're thinking that his ceiling is Damian Lillard. He's or or you know maybe even CJ McCollum. He has the kind of game that fits what the modern NBA is doing. So for my thing is, don't worry so much about well, we need to get a a small forward or a power forward. Like it's like, dude, you you're not good. <laughs> Take the best talent and just see which one w- wins out. And if uh, they can both, you know, if they can both coexist, great. I highly doubt it. If not, trade one of them and get someone else. Um, so I actually applaud that pick. Um, also, I'm not really a big and I respect that. That that's the kind of building philosophy that makes I think teams successful. They're but they're kind of pushing it as a Kyrie Irving, Dion Waiters 2.0 type Ooh. of thing. And I'm Ooh. much more willing to buy in from your aspect. You got you know Kevin Porter Jr. at 30 to kind of be that lottery ticket. Dylan Windler is a as a steady small forward, a guy that I think you know we'll get to here in a little bit. A guy that I think could be really steady for a long time. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm with you. Garland, to me, was the best player there. I kind of would have liked to see Cam Reddish there, but I think Darius Garland at that pick, you have to you have to just accept it because I don't see the value outside of that. Yeah, so totally agree. Um, so going from here, just kind of curious, of the lottery selections. Well, hold on are- real quick. You didn't compare it to – uh, Minnesota, you didn't give your Minnesota take on that. Yeah, no, no, Culver. I I like Culver. I I don't think he's going to be a player that that fails. I think he's too good at too many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, his shooting is kind of the one aspect that's he he's not like a Stanley Johnson level shooter. He's not a a, a Michael Carter Williams level shooter. Like he can shoot. He's just not as elite as some other guys, but. Mm-hmm. The difference, like, I think he's a really good playmaker. I think he can create his own shot really well. I think he can pass really well and set up teammates. Uh, so he can play a lot of off the ball and not have to dominate the ball to make a to kind of make an impact. Um, so I think he actually gives Minnesota kind of this unselfish, uh, you know, but like high impact backcourt player that they've needed for a long time and can actually complement Towns really well. If he does get become a better shooter, like a 38% shooter or something, then they've really got something. He's got the size where he should at least be adequate on defense, and if not better than that, he should be able to hold his own and, and rebound a little bit. So I think he's a nice player. At this point, at six, you, in most drafts, you would maybe wish there were some higher ceiling players, and yeah. uh, I just there's not that many. And, and, you know, Basically, I think they were looking at Culver. If not him, you're looking at Reddish. And... Um, you know, they, they didn't believe in Kobe White. They didn't believe in Cam Radish. They wanted Jared Culver. Um, well, they may have won Darius Garland. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, they, they probably won Jared Culver. So I think it's a good pick. Um, 
you know, it's not going to, I don't think it raises their ceiling a whole lot, but it's a good quality player than, um, who might pan out better than, you know, some other guy on that team that we won't, we won't talk about. Right. Give yeah. We won't talk about it. Give move on. Uh, <laughs> okay. So question amongst the, the lottery outside of the top five. Uh, so the rest of the lottery, uh, which first of all, which selection did you like the most? And is there a selection that you really hated? The selection I liked the most was Tyler hero. And I know we talked about him prior to the draft. We, when we had our podcast and I've been riding the hero train for a while, but the reason why I like him so much is because you know exactly who he is in the NBA. There is no guessing. He has he's six six. He has an athletic profile. He can handle the ball. He can create his own shot. He's still needs to work on his consistency from three point range. But he's a guy that can get to the free throw line. He can you know, especially in the summer league, he's showing that he has playmaking skills. I think it's so hard to find two guards that can play at the level he plays at. And if it was me and the draft order fell exactly the way it did, the earliest I would have taken Tyler Hero in this draft would be number six. Yeah, actually, I think you could have uh, – that's the thing. He is an elite shooter. Playing at Kentucky, you and I both got to, a chance to watch him much more up close than your average fan. People think he's just a shooter, and that is not the case. This is That is his biggest strength, but – Hero is six foot six, almost two hundred pounds. I think he's a, he was a surprising athlete in terms yes. of being able to dribble a little bit. In terms of his quickness and his burst, um, more athletic than I thought. But beyond that, and this is actually uh, something that Pat Rowley mentioned after they drafted him, is that they believe in his defensive potential and his ability to impact the game in other ways. So we saw him at Kentucky really emerge as a very solid, very impactful rebounder um, for his size. He's not going to, you know, dominate, but, but he has enough size at guard to where he can grab you four or five boards a game. Um, he did really well with that later in the year. And then his defense again, got much better. You're not going to ask him to be Patrick Beverly or, or anything like, or Avery Bradley or anything like that. But if hero can just be the shooter that you think he can be. And if he can just simply become like an average defender, then, then that's a home run pick wherever you take him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, like you said, is really as low as six or seven or something like that. Like New Orleans at eight, I think, really messed up and should have taken him. Um, yeah, Atlanta would have been interesting just to just to add another shooter. I would have loved him in Atlanta. That would have been nice, absolutely. Um, you know, but yeah, he has been tearing it up in summer league. So um, also here, just real quick, let me see. I think I've got some picks on him. I think, yeah, in his summer league debut, he scored 18 points. And let me see. And then the game after that, he he scored 23. And in each of these games, he made, I think, four and five three-pointers. So, you know, it's only summer league, but it's just saying uh, so far he's trending upwards. So um, I'll say for me, for the lottery selection that, you know, non-top five that I may have liked the most, we've talked a lot about them. But I'm going to go with P.J. Washington and Charlotte. Not trying to go all Kentucky here. Um, there's just some other players here that I'm not too high on. Uh, I'll go ahead and say, like, Kobe White from North Carolina. I watched him a bit, and I don't really see the translation to the pro game. So I'm not well, going to – Well, let's save that for the picks we like the least. Oh, yeah, because 
it's interesting that your favorite pick might have been my least. Sure. Yeah. So for me with PJ Washington, uh, for one with Charlotte, they have had this soft front court for a long time where they've taken, frankly, a lot of unathletic big white guys <laughs> that can shoot. <laughs> Do nothing else, and that's really, that really like with, with Zeller and Kaminsky. Uh, Kaminsky and some other guys like that. Um, and what I like with PJ, he came back and he improved more as a sophomore than maybe anyone else in the country. His three point shot, first of all, is a lethal weapon. That thing is no, jo- that thing is no joke. He is, it's not a fluke. He is consistent with his with jump shot. He has a quick release. And on high volume, he was Kentucky's best shooter last year. I definitely see the chance for him to be a a real three point threat, like you're, you're maybe like a like a Boris Diaw type, you know, just this forward who can who is a threat from out there all the time. Um, but also with PJ, I don't see him becoming like an all star because you know he's a little bit um, just his, his his size and at power forward that that kind of position is kind of going out, but. He has such a long wingspan, though. I think um, just he can hit the boards. He can really block shots per- better than you think. And he's also kind of emerging as a playmaker. I just think that he is so skilled now after the second season. And he showed a lot of leadership ability that I didn't think he quite had. I just don't th- see him busting. And for Charlotte, I think he kind of gives that front court a toughness and also a, a kind of an athletic edge that they haven't had like i just think the of him and miles bridges together as like a three four combo i just i think that's really gonna be nice for them so that's why i like him as a fit in charlotte that's interesting i was i kind of just feel a little bit of the opposite about pj now i did look up his total amount of three point attempts he had 78 last year shot 42 percent from three i his freshman year, I really saw the talent in him. I saw him as a potential point forward someday. His ability to handle the ball, his athleticism is off the charts for people that aren't familiar with P.J. Washington. He can really, really jump. Um, I just, in his second year, the game he played, he played much more of an inside game. I, I don't think necessarily that that three-point shot is going to uh, – stay consistent like you do. I think his free throw percentage is kind of uh, an indictment on maybe why you would say that's the case. He went from 60% his freshman year to 66 his uh, sophomore year. So Improved. not a big jumper improvement. <laughs> you were, did you want to say something before I continue? No, I was kidding. But oh, one, one thing I just want to follow up on. Despite standing six foot eight, he has a seven foot three wingspan. And he's 240 pounds. So – a guy that can maybe play the future five. I just – when you say he was the leader, I really thought Reed Travis was. That's getting into our Kentucky stuff, you know, in the terms of how they played. And I'm not sure of P.J. Washington, as big as he is, if he's going to be able to handle maybe the quote-unquote, you know, tougher guys in the league like you think he will. I just thought that for Charlotte, he – the other guys on the board, especially with the situation you're in and which you're going to lose Kimba Walker, I think P.J. Washington is just somebody that's going to be a rotation player in the NBA. And if that's what you're going for, fine, but you're not you're not increasing your ceiling much on what you can do there. And that's why I like some of these other lottery picks better, even some picks after. I mean, he's not a bad pick. He's not a bad player, but I just would have gone with a higher ceiling. 
Hey, look, you know, we, we can't all be right. So you can be wrong and that's fine. Uh, so is that going to be, the, <laughs> is, it, is it the lottery selection that you like the least, I guess? I would or, say. Was there I'm, one other one that you're just like, oh, I mean, it's just all subjective like anything else is. But like Kobe White, I think, is a career backup. So to take him at seven, like, uh, I don't, you know, I think we both agree on the Kobe White. I think we both agree on Jackson Hayes. I like Rory Hachimura. I mean, if you're Washington, you really think you'd rather go for a higher ceiling. But I like Rui. I think he's going to be a good player in the league. Um, and really, I liked a lot of the lottery selections. Like, I think Romeo Lankford is a great uh you know, high risk, high reward type of guy at 14. I think Cameron Johnson is for what Phoenix is trying to create, which is a new version of the Nash Suns. I mean, when you make 45% of your threes on over 200 attempts a game or a game, goodness, um, in a season, I mean, that's a really valuable commodity in my opinion. And then obviously Cam Reddish, if they would have gone somewhere else or if they would have picked Cam Reddish at, you know, you I, I like the Cam Reddish pick. We'll just leave it at that. But, you know, outside of the top five, there weren't a lot of picks that I just absolutely hated. But P.J. Washington pick along with the uh, Kobe White and Jackson Hayes picks, I weren't, I wasn't huge fans of. One comment I'll make on this. Um, the Cameron Johnson pick had a lot of hate with Phoenix. And initially, I did not like the value of going from the, the sixth spot where you can really take, you know, potentially a, an impact player. Then moving down to 11, we, you and I talked about it. I initially had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But, but now I've come around because, you know, they that team is full of nothing but teenagers. So they they took a lottery pick taking the oldest player in the draft. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> now they have a guy that is, like, old enough to, draw, to you know, drink alcohol <laughs> and take the team around. Uh, no, I mean, Cam Johnson's 23 years old. All kidding aside, I did see a, a statistic or I saw someone on Twitter – Mentioned that last season, Phoenix only had, get this, they only had three players on their roster between the ages of 23 and 29. Wow. 23 to 29. So those are like, that's either like your up and coming, you know, multi-year rookies and stuff. And then players in their prime, they only had three guys total. Now. Amazing. That's awful. (laughs) Now this after this off season, that has shifted to where they now have eight players in that eight in that age range. So and that's that's great for Phoenix. And yeah. and like I said before, Paul, what I love about this selection and what a lot of people are missing, I I think they have an identity of how they want to play. And that's important in building a team. I wouldn't like the pick for Cameron Johnson if he was a 39% three-point shooter or someone that couldn't bring that element at an elite level. But he was the single best three-point shooter in this draft. And we talk you know, ad nauseum about how important the three-point shot is in this game. And especially with DeAndre Ayton, you don't want to make the same consistent, I guess you would, would say, mistakes that Philadelphia does around Joel Embiid and not give him spacing. They're giving DeAndre Ayton more spacing than any <laughs> big in the league, any young big in the league. Everybody can shoot a three on their roster now except Rubio, and he's a, a little, like profit-like passer. So I think the way they've constructed this team, 
getting Dario Saric, getting Cameron Johnson, signing Ricky Rubio, you know, trading away Josh Jackson to open up that spot for Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, like they are going to shoot a very high percentage from three. And that's not even mentioning Devin Booker and his all around scoring. Well, sorry, I was laughing. One, the all great points. One really funny thing that came up yesterday about DeAndre Aiden. I don't know if you saw this or not. In a summer league game, the Phoenix Suns GM, James Jones, was on, and they were asking him about some of his free agent pickups, and they asked about Aaron Baines. <laughs> and James Jones, he said, well, we really liked the uh, picking up Aaron Baines because uh, he'll, give, he'll, he'll allow DeAndre to take a few games off here and there and sit and watch and learn from – from you know watching Aaron Aaron play, and he just said it so casually, confident. Oh my gosh, that's and horrible! Like, and you're just thinking like, wait, did did he just say that? <laughs> that is awful. Yes, let's take our our number one overall franchise pick, <laughs> hopefully our future superstar. Let's make sure that he sits behind a quarterback for a couple of years and like learns from a 34-year-old center. Let's not – oh, oh and hold on, hold on. I, I didn't finish the quote. He says that way he can sit and learn uh, and not always be in the fire. Yeah, that was the last part. And you're like, that's exactly what he should be doing. That's that's why you constructed the team the way it is, is so he could be the guy that can go and get you this, this all-star level production mm. to get you in the playoffs. I think I was yelling in the mic. I'm sorry. Hopefully we would normalize that out. But I, I heard that. And just about had my jaw drop. Like, well, there's your Phoenix Suns. You literally could have just said, "We think he's going to be a good veteran backup," and nobody would have batted an eye. They'd be like, "Yeah, yeah. that's that's true." Oh man, that's so funny. Um, all right, so curious, just kind of moving forward a little bit. Picks fifteen through twenty. I think that this is actually a really like right after the lottery. This is a very interesting group to me, even more so than some of the guys in the lottery. Question for you. If there is like one player out of this that you're going to say, like, you know what? That is my ride or die guy. I am, I am on that guy on his island 100% of the way. Just that he's going to kind of make it as a pro. Um, do you, Can you find one in that list? Because I can find like three at least. Wow, three? <laughs> uh, three, maybe four. Yeah. You think there are four players out of that list that are going to be rotational player to starters in the NBA? Minimum two and maybe more. I, I love this little group right here. My goodness. I I don't know, man. I'll, I've got one guy that I can say I really think he'll be, well, maybe, maybe, maybe two, but only one guy. And Ooh. I'll let you go first because I know you're really excited about one of these guys. Okay. All right. Um so the one that I'll say is my ultimate ride or die is my my favorite team, the Indiana Pacers. Their very own selection, the surprising selection of Goga. Goga! Goga! Goga Patazzi. Uh He is the 6'11", 250-pound center out of Europe. He played in the Republic of Georgia. And, you know, look, there's, of course, a chance he could be another Euro big that just fails out. But... There were quite a few NBA scouts that actually rated this guy as the best center in this class, and I heard him rated as high as uh, worthy of being a top-ten pick, uh, so that's saying over Jackson Hayes. Um, 
this guy dominated over in EuroLeague. And frankly, I watched some highlights of him. Highlights are very scary <laughs> to rely upon uh, when right. you come down to the NBA because they always show the good things and don't show the bad. Um, but just to kind of re- inform any listeners who aren't familiar with Goga. Goga! What he's accomplished so far overseas. He's won the EuroLeague Rising Star Award. Uh, he's won a cup winner. He's won the Serbian Super League MVP, the Adriatic League MVP. He was on the All-Adriatic League team. Uh, he led multiple leagues in blocks. And he's also uh, – he's won like three or four MVP awards. He's won multiple championships. And um, so he's been pretty impressive. And when you really want, look at him, what I like, I think he's a player that can, can come in and contribute immediately. He is a very strong, like 6'11", 250, uh, big-time rebounder, really good-looking shot blocker, but also he has a smooth stroke from three uh, and from mid-range as well. So he just seems like your all-around nice center, and if he can become like a Joseph Nurkic type, that's some kind of what I've seen like, with a little bit more range maybe, uh, I think he's going to do really well. And frankly – Indiana, we're pumping out bigs lately, you know, with Miles Turner and Damontis uh, Sabonis. So um, that is my guy that I think he will be – he could become a future starter somewhere, if not Indiana. So I'm placing a bet, man. That's my guy. See, I'm glad I let you go first because I was thinking about just going in front of you and taking it, really, because Goga out of those guys is the one that I believe in the most. I would be really frustrated if you did. So thank you. You're welcome. It's it's the kind heart that I have that okay. I show every day. Um, Nikhil Alexander Walker is safe. I'm I'm just not huge on him. Like I don't I don't think he has this unbelievable yeah. ceiling. If he's a, I can what? hear it in your voice. Yeah, Nikhil Walker. Uh, blah, blah. I just he <laughs> if he's he's a fringe starter to me. Like I don't know what he'll do in the future. Um, but. At least if he's able to play defense, handle the ball sometimes, get a couple buckets, he'll be valuable. If it wasn't for what I heard um, after the pick of Luka, and I want to try to get his name right, Samanic? Samanic? I think so. It's I, I thought that he was kind of underrated, and not that I've ever seen him play. I haven't seen him play one time. But, I mean, he also – he didn't have as many of the awards as Goga did, but he was the FIBA Europe Under-18 Championship B, whatever that means, MVP in 2017. He's 19. He's just a Croatian Euro, you know, kind of maybe in that uh, Dario Saric uh, mold uh, type of forwards that can shoot, but he's – He's really tall, man. He's 6'11", 227. He's a guy that can maybe play the five. And if I was to trust any team with a European big, I mean, San Antonio would be right up there towards the top of the list. So if I can't have Goga, I mean, do you want to share Goga? Can we share him? No, he's mine. Okay. I'll take Luca. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Neither of us said uh, Dumboya. That Detroit drafted. Well, see, like, I think he can actually become really something nice. Admittedly, he is like a, a, a project type of player, but uh, Siku Demboya is the, the highest rated international player from this draft, and he fell to 15. So uh, hopefully Blake Griffin can take him under his wing. To me, I'm intrigued by Chumo Okeke. The problem with him is, is the team he went to. <laughs> he, he went to Orlando and uh, – that is one team that does not need any more big players. Um, 
Let me tell you a fun little story. By the way, I think Goga, I think, ended up being the best international prospect, but Sekou was drafted first unless you count R.J. Barrett or Rui Hachimura. <laughs> so, um, but an interesting little tidbit about Chuma Okiki, I happened to catch some of NBA TV's like post-draft like reviews and whatnot, and there happened to be a coach on the panel – named Bruce Pearl, who happened to coach at Auburn, where Chumo Kiki played. And he gave Chumo Kiki a little bit of praise, but literally sat there on TV and said, yeah, if he improves his work ethic, he can be something someday. I think he was overdrafted. Oh, wow. I mean, if if Bruce Pearl's on national television to, like, pump his guy up and says that, I'm off. I'm out. Like, I'm, he, I'm good. You can have Chuma. That's pretty terrible. That's indicting, isn't it? I am all. I'm suddenly just like, oh no, he's done. That, <laughs> he's done. The, he's dead in the water now. The fact of that and the fact that he's on Orlando, yeah, I'm done. Um, no, my second choice actually is is the Philadelphia, and then moving up to to get Matisse Thibel. Um, I know you don't we like talk him, about every like, single player on the list. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a cool list. Uh, you don't like him because he played in his own heavy system, and already in summer league, he's getting blocks and steals like crazy. Um, he is a poor man's Andre Roberson. Wow. Yeah, nope. I said it. I think he is like – I think he's better than that. <laughs> I think he's a rich man's Andre Roberson. Maybe, no. maybe he'll be Andre Roberson. Do not disrespect Andre Roberson like that. I'm not going to have that on the and one basketball hour. I'm I don't know with Philly, with the defense they've already put together on that starting lineup, and then them bringing back Zaire Smith, who was injured last season. He's a great defender. And now with Thibel. Um, I'm surprised they're bringing Zaire Smith back as he was an injured point guard. I'm surprised they didn't give up and trade him after a year. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a shot. Was it a shot because of their treatment of – Markel, yeah. Dude, Markel was horrible. They, they did the right move. So, anyway, interesting pick or interesting group, I think. Moving on just a little bit further, near the end of the first round, from picks 21 through 30, just just curious, if you can give me one bet to be a future all-star, like the best bet to become a future all-star, uh, even even if, even if it's one time, even if it's like a one-time, uh, like, like Jamal McGlure, <laughs> make an all-star game once. Very unlikely, that's fine. One all-star, and also one player most likely to bust. If I had to take anybody that I think could be an all-star, it's Keldon Johnson. In the last th- ten picks, okay. In the last ten picks, yeah. San Antonio Spurs. He was a highly uh, recruited high school kid, so he has the pedigree. He has, um, you know, he's he's a very staunch defender. Something that I think San Antonio is going to get the best out of him. He has an offensive profile. Uh, they have a history of developing small forwards. You know, you always want to make the easy Kawhi comparison. Uh, but out of all these guys, if you said he's going to be an all-star at least once, I would take Elton Johnson. Okay. How about one bust? Or most likely? Most likely to bust out of this group. Mm. As in, like, the earliest player out of the league. Oh, wow. The earliest player out of the league. I'm looking at it. Darius Baisley is the easy one to kind of target. Um I'll go out on a limb. I'll say – no, give me your best. Give me your best pick and I'll come back to it. No. Okay. Um, we can do that. Well, I was going to say Colin Johnson and you took him and that's fine. 
Um, I'll talk a little, a little bit more about Keldon later on. Um, if Kevin Porter can just get traded from Cleveland <laughs> at some point, I'm going to put all my bets on Kevin Porter. That is my dude. Uh, he is the ultimate like draft highlight video uh, darling, if you will. Uh, obviously, he had some mature issues and maturity issues and stuff like that, but he is a he looks like a stud, and he can just score all over the court in so many different ways. Cleveland, they've taken they they have like no players that want to distribute the ball. All they have are players that need the ball in their hands. But I'm just saying down the road, whether it's in Cleveland or someone else, I hope and think that Kevin Porter will get one chance to blow up. He can be the the absolute best player of that of this group here. Um, I'm picking him slightly over Brandon Clark, just so you know. Um, Brandon Clark and Cobb Gelly were probably up there as well for me. I think um, Clark playing next to uh, JJJ in Memphis and having John Morant helping him out. Uh, that, that's a sweet team, and Clark Clark's in the perfect situation, but. I'll go with Kevin Porter. Um, if, if I had to go for the guy that I think would be out of the league the quickest, I'll go with the low-hanging fruit and go with Jordan Poole. He was a guy that I didn't think was really going to get drafted. Um, he has like a Nick Young profile, but I could see Golden State putting him on their G League team for a year, make cutting him for cap space or whatever they'd have to do after, I guess, the two guaranteed years and then him never catching on again. Uh, he seems like he's just a shooter, I'll bet a talented one, but – uh, I'm not sure. He was very overdrafted, according to a lot of people. I don't really doubt Golden State, and maybe they have a plan for him. But uh, that would be my bet. Well, I think that's a good pick. My pick for the most likely to bust uh, is also my same pick to be the the future all-star. That's Kevin Porter. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, well, because he has maturity issues, and uh, he's in, a, I think, a pretty poor situation with Cleveland. And uh, if things go if things go badly there, I think he's he's just like the ultimate. Uh, he's the perfect pick number thirty, basically. I pick number thirty, take a guy that can either be awesome or you know terrible, whatever. And so. you know what's funny is the Milwaukee Bucks originally held this pick, and I would agree with the bust part if it was somewhere like that. I think a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. having the opportunity is what's going to let him blossom more than you remember Rashad Vaughn. He was a yeah, shooting I'm, guard, five star guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a guy that we everybody thought was this big time prospect, and he went to Milwaukee and he just never broke through. Um, I I would say that also my backup would be like Grant Williams. Grant Williams was a great college player, um, but let's just say that the toughest competition. I'm not. I wasn't. Pretty much, he did bad against Kentucky a lot. Um, I would have rather had his teammate, Admiral Schofield, than Grant. So yeah. Speaking of that. <laughs> Let's go to just real quick some second round and, and, and undrafted free agent sleepers. Just a couple guys. And, and the first guy I was going to mention was his teammate, Admiral Schofield, who ended up going to Washington, I believe. And to me, I just think that, again, he's a player that's – I think he's going to make it in the NBA. In the second round, you know, you can look for whatever trait you want. I want to look for a guy that's just simply going to make it. And I think he works too hard. He's too athletic. He's too balanced and skilled across the board to where I don't see how he isn't – or I don't see how he doesn't become a solid rotation helpful player to a team. 
Um, and even if you watch these playoffs, he seems like the kind of player that could help a playoff team on the bench. So um, I like him. And one other guy I'm going to give a shout-out for is Carson Edwards. To me, uh, he's the kind of player you, you just take a shot on in, in, in modern in the modern NBA. Yes, he's only six foot, but he's also 200 pounds. He's stronger than he looks. He's not some frail, small, like frail, thin guy. He's actually pretty, got some muscle mass to him. Uh, we saw some of that in some highlights in the summer league where he just bullied a few players around and created some space. Anyone that has the shooting ability like that, I just, t- I just take a flyer on him. And for him to land in Boston, I think is actually really nice for him. He's going to learn from bad Stevens and, I think I think he's going to carve a role there and 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 make it. So, um, how about yourself? Any second round or undrafted sleepers you want to make a I bet would, on? I kind of want to. I mean, can we just both agree that Bull Bull? We think that he'll be an NBA player. I disagree. No, I don't think he's going to make it. Oh, okay. See, I didn't think he was going to make it coming out of high school, and then I saw him in college, and I was like, oh well, never mind. Um, but we'll see. It's weird to see guys as talented and as propped up as him get to a point like this. But that's interesting. My sleepers, uh, and you wanted me to list them, I'm just going with the SEC. I think that the SEC produced the strongest amount of uh, sleepers slash second-round picks. You've already mentioned Admiral Schofield. Nicholas Claxton is a guy that I wasn't high on coming in the draft process because – You know, I followed SEC pretty closely, and I wasn't hugely keened in on him. But now that they have Kevin Durant there, I think he's a guy that could really help mold him into a future star. So I think that fit's going to be really interesting together. Uh, Daniel Gafford, if you told me that three years from now he's going to take Wendell Carter's spot on the Bulls, I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I think – Quindary Weatherspoon is just your four-year score at Mississippi State that goes to a place like San Antonio and turns into Brandon Roy. Who knows? But out of all these guys, you know, I like Jordan Bone a lot. Uh, hopefully he sticks on in Detroit. But my number one sleeper is just Tremont Waters of LSU. He's really small for a point guard. He can struggle at times, but he was often – the best player on the court in the games that he played in, even though he was always the smallest. He has the skill. He has the shooting touch. There is so much to like about him. And maybe in Boston is where he makes it. Maybe he has to go somewhere else. But I think they see the value in him. I wouldn't be surprised if Tremont Waters ends up being what you think Carson Edwards is going to be. Very interesting. And the fun part of the draft, of course, is that all of the stuff we just said – we won't know for two to four years, maybe longer, <laughs> in terms of how it's all going to turn out. Um, a lot of these players are, will end up changing teams, and they'll change their situations for better or for worse. You know, Lance Stevenson would have never had a career if he didn't land in Indiana, and all that's the only place he's good at. <laughs> but uh, just as an example, but um, I think this this draft has a lot of good players. It's just a matter of which ones are going to emerge, which ones made it to the good situations, and you know which players can kind of uh, negate some of the negatives the scouts were talking about and hopefully get a chance to shine. So uh, that's what makes it fun and and inter- entertaining, and you know, you're doing a lot of forecasting, which um, 
oftentimes leads to hilarity. But hopefully we can look back on this in uh, you know a couple of years and be like, oh man, we nailed that. So um, we'll move on to our final possession. This is where each of us gives just a like a one minute or so just take um, about something. And for me, I'll make it NBA draft related. At the time it happened, I just did not understand how Kelton Johnson fell to the 29th pick on the draft, almost in the second round. So coming out of high school, he was like a top 15 consensus player. Going to Kentucky, he was actually named the SEC Freshman of the Year and more than deserved the honor that he was given. Uh, He put up over 13 points a game and nearly six rebounds and uh, played really well. Uh, The thing is, like from three-pointer, he was relied upon as – Arguably the, the 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 high volume shooter on the team from deep, uh, or him or maybe one other guy, and he averaged like thirty eight percent from from three, and nearly fifty percent from the field overall. The thing is, I think he has the size to, to defend. Uh, he's a pretty decent passer. He's not great at that, of course, but uh, t- he just has too much skill to just not make it. And when you're in the draft, especially in a draft like this, which is so upside down and, and unpredictable. You're just simply looking for guys at that point of the draft in the, in the, in the back end of the first round that can they make it? And I have zero doubt that Keldon Johnson will make it as an NBA pro. And for my final possession, the NBA draft consistently confuses me with the way that prospects are selected. And it's not in the process of the draft itself, but it's what type of players go where Everything points to the NBA evolving into this new game where there's new skill sets and new players that take over and replace an old guard. And I feel like that the more the NBA draft process goes, the further we understand that there are still a lot of old thought into the NBA draft. For example, you had a guy like Malik Monk in 2017 drop to the 11th pick. I'll bet that he hasn't had the greatest start to his career. An elite three-point shooter of that caliber you think would be valued higher when it comes to a draft like this. You fast forward to 2019, and you've got R.J. Barrett, who was borderline awful from three-point territory at Duke, goes number three because he's traditionally what you want out of a guard, and that's a guy that's physical and can get to the rim. I'll bet an archaic skill set and style that comes along with that. You also looked at what me and Paul talked about earlier. Jackson Hayes going eight when he has a skill set that really doesn't fit in with the modern NBA, especially come playoff time. It's really confusing on a team that's trying to become revolutionary would take someone with that limited of a set. You can even look at Rui Hachimura at nine, and then you look at the picks after where you have a guy like Cameron Johnson, who was an absolute elite knockdown three-point shooter in college, and Tyler Hero, a modern guard that can get his shot, get to the rim, and plays the new style where even two guards are going to handle the ball a lot. It just seems like that the NBA draft isn't reflecting the game the NBA is played at now, and that's why you see teams like the Golden State Warriors and now the up-and-coming Atlanta Hawks being more fitting for the way the game is played today and their draft selections to show that man that was good <laughs> uh all around so i think with that like i said hopefully we can come back and we'll maybe follow up at some point next year and we'll keep track of the guys that we made some statements on or whatnot um i guarantee you that some of the players that we mentioned who fit the modern game 
they're probably going to do better, better than where they were picked at. So just a, just a prediction. Um, any last thoughts or last words you want to have on the on the draft going forward? Nope, that's why we have a final possession room. No, that's cool. I was just I was just making sure. So. <laughs> just, I'm just messing with you, bro. I know, you're such a such a jerk. Uh, just a reminder <laughs> to all the listeners that you can follow our show on Twitter at a1bball. Angelo over here, he tweets out from Angelo Media Lex, although his his account is garbage. You wouldn't want to listen. To oh, him. Paul, why are you getting salty? <laughs> Uh, why not? So, uh, as for this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Where everything's been submitted to the podcast directories this week, so we're showing up everywhere. So be sure to search for us and keep track. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's edition of the A One Basketball Hour. <laughs> <laughs>